Uh, Friday night, we had a pre-conference on human sexuality with Sam Alberry, and we also had uh, Jonathan Holmes with us. And it was really phenomenal. So I'm really eager for the audio and maybe the video to come available. Um, and somebody in, in the congregation had the idea, we might have kind of a discussion group, maybe invite people to, to listen to it if they weren't there, some of you were there, and then have kind of a discussion group. Uh, and then yesterday, Saturday, was, was wonderful. Um, we went through uh, the first chapter of 1 Corinthians uh, throughout the course of the day. And it, was just, it was just really, really great. And all that audio will also be available, too. Um, and the website for that, the Bay Area website for the Gospel Coalition is bayarea.thegospelcoalition.org. So um, we'll keep you posted when that, we'll, we'll make it available when it, comes, when it comes up for you to be able to listen to that. So it's been a full weekend. It's been great with that. And then I'm also excited, looking forward to uh, March 11th. Last week, uh, I offered that we would do a Gospel Academy course on the Bible um, if we had, you know, three or so people who are interested, and we just had a whole number of people say they were interested in that. So I am looking forward to being able to spend time with uh, those who come. We're going to be uh, on Wednesday nights, mostly um, starting March 11th, 7 p.m. here at the El Cerrito campus, 7 to 8.30. My bedtime's like 9, so we will be done, you know, uh, no problem. Um, but uh, Unless you have a really interesting thing to talk about, then I'll stay up later for that. Um, but but uh, excited to just be with you, those of you who want to go on that journey. Um, and it comes out of this text that we're looking at. We're spending two weeks talking about the scripture, which is so critical, so important, such a foundation for just about everything that we do. So um, as we dive into that, let me just uh, pray for us. God, would you meet us in the scripture today and call us to yourself through it, would you reveal yourself to us? And would we approach this task with the appropriate humility, willingness to question um, what's going on inside of us at times and, and what might create barriers to our really receiving the scripture, the teaching that you have for us, not just this morning, but uh, over the course of our lives. We want to be the kind of people who um, listen to the voice of their creator. And we know that that voice has come to us through this gift of scripture. And so um, we open ourselves to you. Um, we also acknowledge that some in our midst this morning may not have that view of scripture, and that's okay. And we're thankful to be in conversation and journey together. And I just pray that that, that conversation will be filled with truth and clarity and listening and understanding. So we want that to characterize our, our culture here and um, to be a place of learning and, and growing and moving towards Jesus ultimately. So would you do that work um, this morning in the time that we have together? We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. So last week, um, I recalled a, a quote from Flannery O'Connor in which she says, um, the tr you shall know the truth uh, and the truth shall make you odd. Okay? Now, um, I was connecting that to what it's like in our world to be somebody who is what we might call a person of the book. Um, as Christians, followers of Jesus, we um, align ourselves with this book, the scripture. And we hold it, you know, in high regard, the highest value, the highest authority, really. We talked about that a little bit last week. But this, this is a thing that is unique in our world and becoming more and more unique to value scripture in this way. 
um, because the storyline that runs through much of our world today, which much of our Western culture as it becomes more secular, is that we have let go of the old ways of thinking. We've, let, we've sloughed off some of the old um, boxes that we kind of would think through, uh, and, 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 the, and we've let it go, and now we're sort of in a, a new space. And, and part of that letting go is oftentimes the letting go of things like Scripture. Now, I would argue that actually what's been happening, and actually this isn't my argument, this is an argument that other philosophers are making, what's actually happening is, is that view has been replaced by a new one, a secular view that attempts to answer many of the same questions. But that's a little bit more of a complicated story we don't have time to get into right now. At the end of the day, what it leaves us feeling, that, though, at times is that we're sort, of, we're sort of backwards. We're sort of hanging on to something. And so last week was really important because we talked about why we take this step to put our confidence in the Scripture. And at the end of the day, we can, we can sort through the intellectual arguments. And, and we did talk about, you know, the rise of secularity. We talked about deconstructionism a little bit last week. Um, but at the end of the day, here's, here's where we come. And, and it's because of the person of Jesus who comes to us in the Scripture at first. And then we begin to trust who Jesus is. And at some point... Lord willing, begin a relationship by faith with Jesus Christ. And what we encounter in the person of Jesus uh, and what we want to imitate as human beings following Jesus is somebody who has a high regard for the Scripture. Now, um, Jesus had the, uh, what, what we now have is the Old Testament, and it was Scripture. And that term was kind of like a technical term. And if you, if you believe that something Scripture, essentially was Scripture, essentially what you're saying is that this is the Word of God. It's the authoritative Word of God. And so we, we wrestled through that and, and began to understand that a little more fully last week. And, and, and really, it was a call to imitate Jesus in his approach to Scripture. He doesn't come on the scene and say, well, that's no longer necessary. He actually says, I'm going to fulfill all of it and just press it even more deeply into your heart and mind and soul. And so that's the way of Jesus uh, and then we talked about how, what that means then in the course of life uh, on a daily basis. Uh, it's estimated that we take in 100,000 words a day. Okay? Now, the New Testament's about 185,000 words. So you could take in as much content as in the New Testament in less than two days, just living your life. Uh, so how do you sort all that information in light of the Scripture? And you can try to do that sort of manually and make sure that you're understanding it all. But I was suggesting to you a different approach, which was to simply soak yourself in the Word of God so that it becomes part of your being, so that you're filtering real time as all this information is coming in. And then to develop a sensitivity to the Holy Spirit, who is the author of Scripture, so that when you're taking in information, again, you have the help of the Holy Spirit who resides in you because of the shed blood of Jesus Christ, you have the help of the Holy Spirit to filter out. And then, and then to get in community like you're in now and be in conversation and dialogue with others so that you can grapple and wrestle through how you assess the information that you're taking in against the authoritative word of God. And what things should you, should you take on board and embrace and what things should you shed? So we talked about the importance of the authority of Scripture. This week, we're going to make it a little bit more practical and, and get into the actual reading of Scripture and, and, how we, and, and the process, the more practical process of that. 
Uh, and so would you open up to, again to the same passage? We're going to read it one more time. Acts 17, verses 10 through 15. If you need a Bible, there's one in the seat back right in front of you, so take that. I want to encourage you, if you need a Bible, uh, generally speaking, take that Bible home with you. We'd love to give it to you. Put it on your nightstand. Maybe go back and read this passage later in the week and understand what it's saying. Think about it, reflect, meditate on it. Uh, and that'll be on page 871 in that particular Bible uh, that's in front of you. All right, so uh, Paul and Silas are going around. They're planting churches. They've just planted one in Thessalonica. They got chased out by the authorities there um, because they felt, felt threatened by what they were doing. And so uh, we pick up in verse 10. Um, the brothers and sisters immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. So they're, they're chased out. Um, you know, physical threats, they go to the next town, and the first thing they do is start to preach again. They just keep going. Verse 11, now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica, and here's the description of what, what Luke means when he says they're more noble. They're more noble because they didn't just respond in the way that they had in Thessalonica and run them out on a rail. They did this. They received the word that Paul was preaching, with all eagerness, if you're underlining things in your Bible, underline that word eagerness, examining, underline that word too, the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. And I, I just love the phrase, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. They had their, their finger in the text. Paul is preaching, he's telling them about Jesus, he's connecting the dots between the Old Testament prophecies and the life death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and they've got their finger on the text, and they're asking themselves, is it really so? And it says a good number of them decided, yes, Jesus is the fulfillment of all that has been told in the Old Testament, so that in verse 12, many of them therefore believed, with not a few Greek women of high standing as well as men. And this is the third week in a row I'm calling out what Luke calls out is that in the planting of churches, the women had an incredibly important role in that whole process in the church. And we as a church, Solano Community Church, want to dig into that dynamic as well. So I want to invite you just to pray uh, in, on Monday the 9th, we're going to have a meeting with the elders of the church and their wives and the, the women that are part of the church council and then the women who are on the directional team for hiring our director of discipleship who will be a woman. And we are going to have a conversation about how we as a church move forward to reflect better what Luke is saying in this text about the important role of the women in the church. So I just want to invite you... Um, to pray for that evening and for that conversation and for the ongoing conversation that we're having. Verse 13. But when the Jews from Thessalonica learned that the word of God was proclaimed by Paul at Berea also, they came there too, agitating and stirring up the crowds. Then the brothers immediately sent Paul off on his way to the sea. But Silas and Timothy remained there. Those who conducted Paul brought him as far as Athens, and after receiving a command for Silas and Timothy to come to him as soon as possible, they departed. 
So the process of planting churches goes on. What I want to say uh, in the time that we have uh, really is two things under one thing, theme. The theme is this. Uh, the Bible is your guide. The Bible is your guide. Other words we could use, the Bible is your advisor, your counselor, your guidebook. If you think about going to a new city and figuring it out, the Bible is like that for life. Um, your confidant. Now, that might be interesting to you, um, but I have found that, that oftentimes it's with God in my study with Scripture that some of the deepest things in my life can only be understood. Nobody can get it really inside of my head and heart to, to know everything. Uh, and in that sense, uh, the Bible is our therapist, our consultant, our companion. We could go on and on and on, but I'm choosing the word guide. The Bible is your guide to cover all of that. And what this text encourages us to do by way of example of the Bereans is to be people who read the Bible eagerly. So that's going to be our first point. And examine it carefully. Read eagerly and examine carefully. So I want to talk about those two things in the time that we have. And I want to put a little bookmark in your head. We're going to have some time for prayer at the end of our service. And I want you to, if you would, just even now be opening your heart to what the Holy Spirit might be pointing out to you as an area where you could use prayer. And it may be attached to what we're talking about. It could be, could be anything, really. But we're having uh, some people to be able to pray for you today. And so I, I, I just want you to open up your, your heart for that. You know, sometimes the breaking down of strongholds in our lives really requires that concerted prayer. And when the church is gathered and the Holy Spirit is with us, that's uh, sometimes the best time for us to, to go after that kind of prayer. So just be thinking uh, in that light. Now, eagerness. Read eagerly. Um, the eagerness of the Bereans okay, is a function of the stimulus and the, the provocation of Paul coming to their town and telling them that Jesus is the Messiah. And then taking them into the scriptures for them to learn and think through what that means. Uh, and, and they react to Paul's presence, okay? It reminds me of a book that I read when I was in seminary by J.C. Becker on the, the, uh, the work of Paul, the teaching of Paul, the Apostle Paul. And what Becker says is that all of Paul's writings are what he called occasional. So that doesn't mean that, that he just did it once in a while. What that means is that they're in response to a particular occasion. Paul's writings, his letters are in response to a particular occasion occasion. It's reacting to a need in the early church. So Paul doesn't sit down like a technical writer and try to tell us everything that could possibly said about, be said about God, right? That would be impossible. And even if he tried, what he would leave us with would be overwhelming. Instead, what we have is the dialogue between the circumstances of the early church as they continue to live out the implications of of the coming of Jesus Christ and all of the theology that is attached to that. And in God's economy, that's what we need to live. But what it raises is this question of reading the Bible in response to our circumstances. And one of the things that I find is that the, my eagerness for the Word of God grows as I come to it to address the circumstances in my life for which I need wisdom and guidance, right? It's, it's like if you've been around a child or you have children and you, you, you're, you're, you're driving along and all of a sudden they ask you this crazy question and you're on the spot and you have to answer it 
you know, about the world or something, because in that moment, suddenly they're interested. And nobody knows why, really. Just for whatever reason, this thing became important. And I was driving my son home from school the other day, and the debate was on, and we were listening to it. And all of a sudden, I don't even remember what the topic was, he asked me about some very complicated thing, and I thought, oh, wow, okay, you know, how am I going to answer this question? You know, and I thought to myself, if, if I would have been at home and said, hey, do you want to talk about this thing? He probably would have said, ah, I'm not really interested. But something in that moment, right, listening to it caused this curiosity, this, this eagerness to want to know. And when we apply that to our study of the scripture, we increase the level of enthusiasm and excitement that we have with the word of God. See, like the Bereans who, they've got their finger on the text. They're like, oh, is that really true? Paul's in their face telling them things about Jesus. Oh, this, you know, it's, this is their present circumstance. And they're like, is that really true? And, and, and this is a beautiful, wonderful way. We've got, you know, our one-year Bible plans. I love those. You know, now you've got all these apps on your phone that take you through. That's wonderful. Um, but there's something about going to the Word in the heat of the battle when we desperately need to know from God how to navigate this moment that really jacks up the level of eagerness that we, we bring to the exploration of Scripture. So let's just say you're having a conversation with with somebody, um, maybe it's somebody in your house, maybe it's your spouse, maybe it's a friend, your, your roommate, whatever. And in the course of that conversation, you know, you realize that you've been behaving in, in sort of a selfish way. Maybe, you know, you haven't done the dishes in three days or whatever, left it all to the other person. Um, and, and in the course of that, you, you realize, you know, I just, um, you kind of have that conviction in that moment. You know, what is it about me? that keeps going towards my own needs all the time. You know, wh what do you do with that? I want to change. I want to grow. Um, so let me pull out my phone and get on social media and see if that makes me more selfless, right? The answer is probably not. But uh, I'll guarantee you this. If you go to the Word of God and you start with Jesus, perhaps, and you say, let me read all the texts in which Jesus demonstrated selflessness. Just simply sitting in front of the example of Jesus Christ will do a work on your soul. And then from there, you can work outward and, and you can talk, you can look at what Paul says, you know, about, about being humble or being other-centered. You can, you can read those more propositional kind of statements that he makes. And you can go to the Old Testament and, and find the, the narratives, all the wonderful stories about the different kinds of people. And you're on this journey. And it's like you are having your own relationship with God, connected to the thing that you need to grapple with right now in this moment. And it's so beautiful, right? We often can live derivatively in our spiritual life. In other words, you know, we're not going to do the work ourselves. We're just going to come to church and, and, and listen to somebody preach who's processed the word for us, right? And we'll just receive it that way. And, and that's not bad. That's, that's part of our community. I need that. I need, I need to hear other people processing the word and, and bringing it to me. And, and, and so we need that. Um, but, but we also have our own journey. And God wants to be in the midst of that. And he wants his word to be in the midst of that journey as well. You say, well, 
I can't do that. I don't know how to do that. And I want to argue with you a little bit on this, okay? You say, that's overwhelming to me. I don't, I don't know how to do that. Let me just argue with you. I think you can. I think that you take in complex storylines all the time. I mean, how many of you are fans? I don't even know. I, I'm going to bring up all the wrong shows here because I don't even know what good shows are. But, you know, um, I don't know. I know people watch things like, you know, I, I keep hearing about Breaking Bad and The Wire, right? And I'm not commending these or not commend. I don't know, okay? So um, Lord of the Rings stuff, you know, Downton Abbey, I do watch that one. So um, if that makes you think less of me, fine. Um, Star Wars. These are all complex storylines with lots of characters and, and twists and plot twists and stuff. And, and, and most of those are ultimately rooted in the story of the scripture. You can find them all in the scripture, right? This is where this stuff comes from. If you can understand that, you can understand this. So we got to not be intimidated by this book. You need your own journey. I love what it says in Acts 4.13. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished, and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. So it doesn't, doesn't, you don't have to be educated. You don't have to be uncommon, somehow special. You can be uneducated and common. If you've been with Jesus, you're good. You can read this book. Even if you're curious to be with Jesus, maybe you wouldn't say you've been with Jesus yet in faith, but you're, you're, you're wondering, you can read this book. It's for you. We have to be so careful. You know, our modern culture is infatuated with specialists. We go to the specialist all the time. Everything is specialized, right? We, I mean, you know, take music, for example. We find the best musician, and then we record them, and then we... We, we pipe them into every city, into every home, into every room, and it's just one or two or a small number of musicians, and all those musicians that in the old days would have been your local musician, they're just out of a job now, right? Because we, we just, we're so honed in on the specialists, and we can bring that to our spiritual lives and say, you know, I, I can't, I, I'm not good at interpreting the scripture, so, you know, I'll just let the professionals do it. And I'm telling you, Jesus knows that you are unlike anybody else in this world. And that you have a journey that is unique. And you know what? He wants to be right in the middle of that. And part of how he does that is through the scripture. So what do you you need to do to do that? This is what, you know, I, I have to separate my reading of the Bible for preaching from my reading of the Bible for being Andrew, the disciple of Jesus. I can't, I can't assume those are going to be the same. So I, I'm on this journey too, okay? I've got to do both um, because, because I, need, I need Jesus in my journey weekend, day in and day out. And so what I found is this, is that the first thing I often have to do is clarify the question. What is it that I'm struggling with that I want to seek out in the Bible? I need to know, I need to figure that out. Like, you know, a lot of us men, when we feel an emotion, it's like, oh, that must be angry, right? I get angry because I'm feeling something uncomfortable, and that's the only one I know, right? So men, we're going to have to uh, increase our emotional palate a little bit to understand that maybe it's not just always anger. Maybe you feel loss or betrayal or something like this because those become the windows through which you begin to search the Scripture. So you've got to take some time to discern what is it that I'm struggling with, Right? So my roommate, my spouse is frustrated with me because I didn't do the dishes for three days. Well, okay, 
people who don't do dishes for three days. Um, you're going to have trouble finding that, but you will be able to find texts about people who are self-centered and what Jesus says about that, right? So you got to do that work of breaking it down. I find that a journal is really helpful for me in that just because I'm slow and I can't, I can't do it on my own, uh, even just in my head. So talking to people helps me and then journaling it out. When I'm journaling, it's like, oh, that's why this thing, this yucky in me exists, right? So then I can know, okay, now I can take that to words. So now you take it to the Bible, and you can search words. If you want to become more loving, look up all the passages on love. You know, if, if you want to become more humble, look on the passages on humility. And, and then, like, line them all up and do your own little research project on this. I, no, not a research project. It's more fun than that, okay? This is going to be just your own little journey with the living God, okay? As he comes alongside you, puts his arm around you and says, hey, let's work on this thing you're struggling with together, okay? And, and you go to Jesus and you say, what did Jesus teach about that? And, and then you find a, a character in the Old Testament and you really get to know them. And they help you make sense out of the thing with which you're struggling. And in all of this, you're paying attention to the Holy Spirit. Sometimes I have those moments where it just a passage will just come into my head and I don't even know why. And I'm like, I'm learning to be better at just obeying that and opening up my Bible and looking at that passage. And, and, and oftentimes I'll discover that God is wanting to work something in me. I didn't even know what it was. Um, and so that sensitivity of the Holy Spirit. You know, if, if suddenly you're thinking about Ruth, go read the book of Ruth, okay? Pay attention to that, that leading, that prompting of the Holy Spirit. And if you are wrong, well, then you've read the book of Ruth. That's good. Um, so the first thing, to read eagerly, to have that eagerness, allow the stimulus of the world around you to push you to the Scripture. That's what we're saying. And don't be intimidated by it. You can do this, okay? And then the next thing I want to say is that once we do that, we need to examine the Scripture carefully. Um, the Bible teaches that the plain reading of Scripture is the way that you, you read it. So, um, again, this comes out of the fact that the disciples themselves were common. They were, they, they were not uh, the scribes and the Pharisees who'd had all this education. Um, the Bereans were not the scribes and the Pharisees. It doesn't say the, the, the scribes and the Pharisees. It says the Bereans. So they were just your average person who was, who was part of that synagogue. And they were the ones who opened up the Scripture and had their finger to, on it to, to check and make sure that it was so. Uh, and, and then we have verses like Psalm 119, 130. Um, psalm 119, the whole psalm is, a, is really about God's word. So sit with that sometime. It's very uh, profound, very beautiful. But Psalm 119, 130 says this, The unfolding of your words gives light. It imparts understanding to the simple. How about you? I, you know, I try to talk about these, you know, Western secularity and deconstructionism and all of this. But at the end of the day, I know that I'm, I'm simple. And, and you may be feeling that way a little bit too. I had somebody come after first service and say, oh, I'm so simple. <laughs> you know, and so that was such a good word for me to be reminded that the Bible is for me in my simplicity. Isn't God good? 
He doesn't make you get a degree or this or that to be able to come to know him. In fact, sometimes those things get in the way. You've got to be careful. Um, all right. So the Bible teaches also that even though it's plainly understood that we have an enemy who doesn't want us to understand. In fact, the very first time that we see Satan on the scene is in the Garden of Eden speaking to Eve. He asks this question, did God say? Did God say? Right? He's starting to try and undermine what God has said. That's his way because he knows if we know what God said and we live by it, then we're, um, we're going to be sourced in the truth. He was not that. So um, the first question, you know, the first thing he does is, did God say? And then later, and, and Kim read this passage. She's not here. Kim read this passage about when the devil is then tempting Jesus, he tries to twist the scripture. So we've got to think briefly about, about that. Um, there's a couple of tactics that the enemy uses when we try to examine Scripture. First of all, um, we, he can get us to overinterpret the Scripture. So if you go back to some of the early um, Christian thinkers like Origen, they did this thing called allegorizing. And so they would read a story like the calming of the storm, and they would say the boat is the church, the storm is the culture, and the world around us. And they try to create it. Well, they're putting things into the Scripture that aren't there. So that's overinterpreting. Uh, but we do this in other ways as well. Sometimes more in our modern era, I think what happens is that we suggest that somehow to understand the Bible, you need these additional sources, commentaries, or you need to know the biblical languages. Or, and I just want to say that if I've ever done that, and I probably have suggested that or, or even made you think that at certain times, then I want to repent of that because I don't ever want to make it seem like the Bible isn't accessible. You know, if I pull out, one of my professors said, if I ever hear you talking about Greek or Hebrew from the pulpit, I will come and pull you down. Because you don't want to make the Bible um, complex when it's not. That's, not. that's not the theology of the Bible. Now, what it does do is it illuminates, right? So we discovered at one point that the Romans had a very strong view of adoption. And in our modern world, sometimes when somebody's adopted, you know, they could kind of be second class in the family. But in the Roman world, if you were adopted, you were just like a blood child. You are like a natural born child. Well, that's really powerful because it suggests when, when we become the adopted daughters and sons of God, then we're fully in, right? So that's beautiful. It illuminates it. It helps us to understand it. But we don't need that to understand what the word is saying. Uh, and then another way uh, I've seen this get sideways and people overinterpret is when they go down the rabbit hole um, of a particular maybe theology or text, and they lose the forest for the trees. Um, there was a guy in the church that I came from when we planted Solano who was elderly, um, and, you know, he just, he was sort of like a, 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 a rabid baptism theologian, and he had all kinds of books on baptism. I don't remember the exact nuance of his view on baptism, but I remember feeling like, Everything was reduced down to baptism, and he was discounting other things because he was so focused on this one doctrine. And this, this tendency can happen in this. And when you see people doing it, oftentimes they're isolated. They're latching on to a particular aspect and then um, make, making all the rest of God's word be filtered through that particular one. I wish I could say more about some of these things, um, but we have to kind of watch out for that. 
The other thing that we can side that we can fall on is to underinterpret the scripture. So you can overinterpret, you can read into it things that aren't there, you can underinterpret it when you just are lazy or sloppy in your approach to the Bible. And we have to be careful of that too. And there's a thread in our Western secular society, um, the relativistic kind of uh, thread and the, the deconstructionist kind of said, which thread, which encourages us in this direction. And you hear it in phrases like this, well, you can't really know, and, and you know, um, that's your interpretation. There's no, I mean, everybody just interprets it the way they want, you know. I mean, the nightmare home group scenario is you're sitting around with the Bible, and everybody's like, I feel like it says this, right? And, and it's just all subjective. And the study of the Bible is not like that. It's actually fairly objective. It's logical, because God is, is, is logical. Jesus is the most logical person who ever lived. So it is logical. We can, we, there are guidelines. Um, it's not just whatever your interpretation is. And we find this to be the case, especially with the hot-button issues, right? People want to say, well, that's just your interpretation. And we start at some point to, to remove logic from the equation and become very subjective. Um, and, and, and there's roots, like I say, of that in some of the dynamics of our culture these days. Um, we can go into that a little bit more in that Gospel Academy class and talk about what, is it, what does it mean to interpret Scripture. That's the plan. Um, so if you can join us, or maybe we'll record it if you can't join us. Um, but this is really important stuff. Um, and one of the ways, I just want to finish up with this, one of the ways that the, the enemy gets us sideways is by kind of getting our heart off kilter so that when we come to the Scripture, we're not able to really be that blank slate and let God you know, speak to us. We, we, we need the scripture to say certain things, right? Let me give you an example. So historically, um, in the time of slavery, you had the people in the South arguing for slavery from scripture, and you had the people in the North arguing against slavery from scripture, right? Well, nobody makes that argument anymore about the scripture condoning slavery or encouraging slavery, um, and if you think they do, we can have an offline conversation. I have time to go through that right now. Um, but what happened there? Well, most of us would, would say that, you know, probably uh, people had sort of economic and cultural attachments to things being a certain way. And they needed the scripture to reinforce that or the cost would be too great. Very easy to look at that and say, huh those awful people. And, and, and we thank God we don't see it that way. But, but, I, but I, before, I want us to think about how might we be doing the same thing with the scriptures as we come to them? What kinds of attachments do we have that keep us from really letting the scripture speak into our lives? We, we need constantly, we'll never get past this, we need constantly to be asking those questions. Um, and so I've got a little list, and I'm going to ask um, Dave uh, Kurtz to make his way up here, too, because he's going to lead us in communion and open up our prayer time. Remember I said that we would, we, would, we would have some time to pray today, and I want to pray into some of these strongholds so that we can be readers, examiners of the Scripture. Um, and, then, and then also maybe this will awaken in you a, a, an acknowledgement of other kinds of strongholds that you want to pray through this morning. So we want to take that time to pray. But what kinds of idolatry characterizes our lives? So in the example that I gave about slavery, you know, maybe it was economic or control, you know, kind of idolatries. Um, are there things that we are attached to 
that are so important to us that if they were threatened, right, um, we're going to have a hard time accepting that. So we're bringing it to Scripture. Are there, is there pride involved? Um, is there fear? Are, and these are all connected, right? Does fear of what God would ask of us keep us from really reading the Scripture openly? Um, you know, some of us have a reaction to the word obedience. I, I know that growing up in Western culture and, you know, probably a lot of other forces sometimes make me have a reaction to that. But that's a word that's in Scripture. Am I coming to that word with an openness to allow God to do his work through it? Right? Um, selfishness. Um, just downright rebellion. Sometimes we just don't want, we don't want it to be true. And so we refuse to pay attention or listen or read or control. And the list could go on and on. Maybe there's some things that this just begins to bring up in you. So, so what we'd like to do this morning is open up the table. So Dave is graciously, graciously going to do that for us and say some words about our prayer time. And I'm just asking that uh, we be open to the movement of the Spirit as he might point out and convict us in some of these areas so that we can become better readers of the Word.